Monday, July 16th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 170 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thank you for joining us for the continuation of a conversation between myself and another musician that started, well, it started many years ago, but for, for our purposes, it uh, started last year, spring 2017, uh, a conversation between myself and a really dear friend of mine, the brilliant drummer, Brian Chase. Let's have a listen. That's Brian playing in duo with the great saxophonist Catherine Sikora. Brian Chase is back on the show today uh, for a good conversation, and uh, I'm glad you guys are here to listen to it. Today on the show, Brian Chase. Before we get into it, a couple of things. July 31st, Arte, Brooklyn. Zena Parkins is going to be performing uh, and after her performance, she and I will be talking in front of the audience. It's going to be recorded. It's going to be a future episode. Are you guys enjoying these live episodes? We've put up two. Uh, you know, it's an experiment. We're seeing how it goes. I think it's cool. Uh, on the 31st, Zena is going to be performing in duo with a woman named Dawn Casper. She's going to be playing tapes and drums. Zena will be playing harp. Uh, it's going to be a special show. I think it's going to be a really special show. So if you're around July 31st, come out to Arate. Patreon. If you're digging this show, please go to the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash 5049podcast. Throw in a few bucks. Uh, I'm hoping at some point soon to be able to take the money that comes in from the Patreon and, and do more than just pay for the, the server space and the administrative costs of doing this podcast. I'd actually like to be able to kind of do some, some, some broader activities. You know, I'd like to go to San Francisco and interview a bunch of people out there, maybe do the same thing in Chicago. Um, so that'd be cool. You know, if you're able to help out, please do that. All right, today on the show, uh, today deserves uh, a few points of explanation. And because it's not um, an incredibly long episode today, I'm going to talk about uh, a good bunch of things up front. Number one, why is Brian back on the show? Brian was on episode 110, which went up April 2017. When we finished the conversation, it was on the shorter side, uh, we talked about it and we both agreed that we didn't quite hit all the points that we needed to hit. And we had uh, an idea going back and forth, well, let's do a part two, maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get in the car, we'll drive out to Queens, drive around Queens, eating and talking uh, in the car. That was kind of the idea we were playing with, we thought that'd be fun. The reason I wanted to have Brian back on was A, to address some things that we didn't get into, uh, but the timing really felt right because Brian has just launched his own record label and it's a really exciting time for him. Now, Brian launching his record label is happening, uh, and like I said a second ago, I'm going to draw this out a little bit. He's launching it at the same time that pretty much 
all of my friends, the people, my peers, the people I identify most strongly with uh, are also launching their own record labels, their own projects. Um, all of the music I'm listening to right now is being made by the people who I consider be my closest peers. And it's all completely self-generated, self-produced work. Uh, and it's an exciting time for my community. What is my community? You know, I don't feel comfortable in any, you know, and I've talked about it on the show before. There's like a Venn diagram that makes up the whole world of experimental music in, in New York and internationally. There's a lot of jazz influence. There's a lot of free improvisation. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of rock. There's a lot of, um, you know, metal. There's a lot of classical. There's a lot of contemporary performance practices. And I don't feel comfortable in any of those worlds. You know, my sense of community is the community that I define for myself. It's it's a it's a smallish group of people who all participate in different worlds. And you know, my idea with with this record label and this podcast, which is all one thing to me, was to be able to focus on that. Um, so you know, maybe it's a very self referential uh, sense of community, but that's why it's mine. That's why it's my record label. Um, and to give you a better idea of what I'm talking about, uh, Matthew Welch, you know, he and I just put out a duo record as part of his new label. He dropped three records at once. His new label is called Codican. Check it out. So there's a, a new record by his band Blarvuster. There's a new duo record with him. There's a new duo record with the two of us. Uh, and it's all great. And it's an exciting time. And it's a time where musicians are really sort of, you know, not waiting for anyone to help them out. We're not walking around with our hands out. We're moving forward and putting things out in the way that we want to see them put out. So check out Matthew's stuff. My dear friend, Charlie Looker, my friend of, I don't know, 25 years at this point, he just put out a record called Simple Answers. And as brilliant as Charlie's projects, all of them are, it's the best thing he's done. He funded it with a Kickstarter. He released it himself. He has completely outdone himself. I've had that record on loop. Charlie Looker. Go to charlielooker.com. On top of that, he, he just launched his own podcast. It's called Fluid Exchange. It's him and M. Lamar, who you probably, you know, both these people have been on this show. They, the two of them, have sort of like a Howard Stern setup where they, it's them in a you know sort of engaged in an ongoing conversation and and they have a different musical guest every week and it's it's sick i'm addicted to it check out fluid exchange you know if you go to the bottom of the itunes and for this podcast you know you'll see that people who download this also download that if you dig this show you'll probably dig that it's a little weirder than this one all this is to say that i'm excited for all of us you know i've got a new record coming out and again you know, there was a time in my life where I would have, you know, probably emailed a bunch of record labels and not heard back from any of them and, you know, been bummed. I don't I don't deal with that anymore. I'm bummed about other things. I'm irritable and resentful about other things. But um it's it's just a good time, you know, for all the all the shit that we talk, all the bitterness about, you know, where we are with record sales and people's, you know, relationship to music as a purchasable commodity, you know, this is an exciting time. So what, what what's this got to do with Brian? Brian started a record label. It's called Shaken Records. And for our conversation today, we talk 
pretty much exclusively about two things. His record label, what his approach to it is, what he's got going on, what the experience has been like for him. Um, and then about his project called Drums and Drones. And we talked a bit about Drums and Drones when he was on last year, um, but we really sort of get inside it today, uh, so much so that at the end of the episode, Brian performs a short piece uh, in the Drums and Drones language. And I, I just, you know, I, I said it before, I'll say it again, I've said it often. I adore Brian and have just the utmost admiration, uh, love, and respect for him. I know very few people who are as open, as kind, as excitable, as committed to living a creative life as Brian is. He's had a big couple of years. He got married, he bought a house, he had a kid, he's starting a record label. You know, it's really like life in the fast lane for, for the adult game for Brian. Um, but, you know, his specifically, you know, he's put out this project called Drums and Drones. He's been doing it for a number of years. And the very first release on the label is a box set book of drums and drones. It's gorgeous, okay? It's three CDs, the three different um, iterations of drums and drones, you know, recorded over like a six, seven year period. And a 144 page book, hardbound, liner notes, photographs. Um, it's, it's a perfect package and document and presentation of music. It's the kind of thing that could have only happened by doing it yourself. And I really want, I mean, I'm really trying to underline and emphasize the fact that I want you guys to check it out. Go to Chaken Records and, you know, I hope I'm not talking out of turn. He's selling it for 40 bucks. He's, he's giving it away. You know, you, you really need to buy this. I bought it and I'm telling you, it is extreme. It's perfect. Brian's, uh, he's, as I record this, he's out on the road right now doing drums and drones. He's in Baltimore. He's in D.C. He's got some New York shows coming up. Two pretty exciting ones. July 20th at Hauser & Worth. It's an art gallery in Chelsea. He's going to be playing with Yuka Honda and Dave Harrington. Remember Dave from just a couple weeks ago? Yuka Honda, Dave Harrington, and other musicians as well. That's July 20th at Hauser & Worth. July 22nd. Transpicos. Brian is going to be performing in a band with Jandek. You guys know Jandek? I'm sure a lot of you do. I played with Jandek about 10 years ago. It's one of the stranger concert experiences of my life. I think that show sold out the July 22nd with Jandek, but but I don't know, maybe hang around the parking lot at Transpicos. It's uh it's conveniently located, Transpicos. Go to chasebryan.com. That's his website. Go to shakenrecords.com. This past Friday, uh, the second release just came out. Um, that's what I was playing up top. It's a duo record with the amazing saxophonist Catherine Sakura. It's called Untitled After. It's fabulous. Artwork's great. It's beautiful. Um, and it's just like choice duo improvisation. This conversation was recorded just about a week or two ago uh, in the basement at um, Brian's new place. He's converting it into a studio. It's going to be a studio at some point, uh, but you'll notice there's a different audio quality than there normally is on the show. It's, it's, a, it's a bit echoey, um, but it was cool. He's got a great studio. I'm looking forward to um, invading it and, and making some shit happen there. 
go to the 5049 website. Uh, you know, dude, there's like a hundred episodes in the archive alone now. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to check out. That's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here is part two of my conversations with the great Brian Chase. You know, there was one episode of the podcast uh-huh. where I uh, interviewed Pavone, uh-huh. and at the start of the podcast, we were eating some strawberries, yeah. and I literally got like three emails from people uh-huh. that were like, dude, that's fucking disgusting, don't ever eat into a microphone again. <laughs> wow. It offended people. Well, there's something about the sound of people eating like right in your ear that really draws like an immediate reaction out of people. So I know what you mean. I think, uh, yeah, I've been around, you know, like some family members that you can chew loudly, loudly, and like you hear the saliva. Well, you know the joke about that. No, I don't know. You don't ever have to ask a Jew what they're eating, because uh-huh. you can just see it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, yep, exactly, yep. But that, that is hey, can thing. you pass the, pass the mustard? <laughs> they never, I mean, uh, you know... Mm. I don't, I don't want to describe a group of people as they, but when I, I've never been around one of my Jewish relatives and not been like utterly more, like of a certain age and not just been utterly mortified uh-huh. by the way and what they eat. Yeah. Like fucking chopped liver, cottage Jeff cheese sandwiches. Yep. <laughs> what is that? Bacon? Dude, this room is great, man. Thank you. Are you, so I gotta crack open this chocolate. What, what, is it, what are you eating now? Um, it's chocolate almonds and sea salt. XOXO. I kind of like this brand. But is there something like uh, hipster and healthy about it, or is it straight up just good product? Um, I think it's a straight up good product. You yeah, have nothing too artisanal, but quality or oriented. Brooklyn's not spelt in a weird way or anything. <laughs> You're in the heart of it out it's here. A, um, I am pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I went to Grumpy to get a coffee, I was uh-huh. like, "Hey, is there a place to grab something quickly around here?" Uh-huh. And the guy was like, oh, you have to go to Brooklyn Standard. It's said you have to go? Yeah, he was like, uh-huh. oh, just the paninis and all. I was uh-huh. like, oh, God, you know? Yeah. And I was so pleasantly surprised when I got there uh-huh. to just get a proper bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll. Yeah, good. Yeah, It's a proper think, place. It is. Yeah, totally. You know, definitely uh, you know, good standard. I think bacon, egg, and cheese is a good, uh, is a good litmus test for yeah. any, any deli yeah. Know, spot. Yeah. Yep. So we're here at Chicken Records headquarters. Uh huh. Chicken Studios. Chicken Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna name the studio something? Um, House of Chicken. Uh, For real? Uh, that sounds no. good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> House of Chicken. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That's perfect. There, there we go. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you haven't recorded anything down here yet. No. So I the very first thing being recorded at House of Chicken uh-huh. is this. That is true. That is true. Yeah, we're totally. cracking the seal on house. Exactly, of I love it. I love it. So, yeah. the last time you and actually, I, talked, I think the uh, hmm. if I if I can say the earlier this week, Ben Goldberg came over. Oh, really? He's, uh, he's in town, and he you know reached out. He's like, you know, like we should you know just do some playing while I'm here. So I'm like, great, you know. So uh, you know, I invited him over, and we ended up you know playing for a bit down here, which was awesome. So I think he was the first person that I played with in this space. Okay. And then now, uh, you're the first person that. 
he was doing a recording in this space. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, I think that's very appropriate. A lot of clarinets. Yeah, a lot of clarinets, yeah. And then, um, you know, and then I think I, I met Ben through you. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I think, you know, I have a deep connection with you. And, you know, it just seemed like, like this is like a good way to inaugurate, inaugurate yeah i think space. you should as you're soundproofing the space really uh-huh. consider the clarinet uh, right <laughs> oh yeah I, I, in fact i'd appreciate sound if, absorbent you'd, material. If, if you'd build an iso booth for me <laughs> okay. specifically yep. uh with objects and other things in it that i like to be around clarinet stands we'll just put them clarinet all over stands. Yep. uh boots pictures uh-huh. of robert de niro yep um great <laughs> yeah. so the last time you and i talked i feel like we 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 both said like immediately afterwards uh-huh. that like oh we didn't really get into it uh-huh. like we kind of did yeah we talked about like growing up and stuff like that but we didn't yeah. really talk about the practice of music mm. and we've been saying we want to get together do another talk uh-huh. and it seems like a good time yeah because you now have your own record label right and first things first uh huh Sydney Chaikin right. Tell me about the name of the record label, Chaikin Records. Chaikin <laughs> Records. Um, actually, it was an idea by uh, from Zorn. John Zorn. Yeah, he pretty much just laid out the whole label plan for me, which was pretty amazing. Well, let's talk about that. You uh-huh. you had a record you wanted to put out. Yeah. You submitted it to a label. What uh-huh. they came back with was less than a pleasing offer. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they came back with, uh, you know, like saying, you know, you guys have to pay for manufacturing and... Right. Yeah, you know, which is like not too uncommon, you know, in today's world. But when you know, I told Zoran he was incensed, and then he was like, you know, for that same amount of money, you can start your own label. Mm-hmm. And and like he ended up outlining a whole like vision. You know, he was like, you can call it Chicken Records. You know, you can start with three releases to launch. You know, as, uh-huh. as like a bold statement. You know, and uh, it was just cool to you know to watch his mind think and you know and think creatively and yeah. and envision what this could be. You know, and he wasn't necessarily saying, you know, you know, like this is what I, ha- you know, like had to do, like you have to do this, but like he was thinking creatively and what would would be good for this scenario. Yeah, and I mean, he was talking with the belief that this is possible. And then I've always hated the administrative aspect of music, but it's it's so essential, you know. The entire the yeah. entire administrative <laughs> process, yeah, yeah, like not hated it, but it was just like a, a chore. It's daunting. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and doing a label is, you know, it's like ninety five percent. It's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I never really, you know, considered myself eligible as a record label person. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is still like a small, you know, endeavor, you know, relatively speaking. But it, it was great to have his encouragement. Like this is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can break out of your own limitations and preconceived limitations. And that's kind of like what I gather from this, you know, is, um, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it on the drive over here. Um, the records that I've been spinning for the last month, mm-hmm. honestly, it's Charlie Looker's new record, uh-huh. Matt Welch's new stuff, yeah, your new stuff, uh-huh. and then the mixes as I've been going through the mastering with my new record. Awesome. Yeah. And I was like, wait, these are A, all my friends, and uh-huh. B, we are all self-releasing music now. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, in large, John is has been the model for... You know, yes, it's it's cool to self-release music just to get it out there, but to actually put like your own aesthetic stamp on it and come uh-huh. up with creative ways to do it, like your the record, the Drums and Drones record, is better than anything out there uh-huh. across the board. The packaging, the the layout, um, and there's no way some some label would have done that for you. Right, totally. Yeah, it's expensive and so many steps. You know, and you know, uh, yeah, on the on the. <laughs> 
I'm experiencing this on the label side because the third release for Chicken Records, you know, is going to have some elaborate production, you know, and I can feel myself being like, yeah. You mean, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I really trust the artist. So yeah, I'm going to see it through. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. But it's really interesting what you're saying with all these new labels popping up because like maybe that's where it's at, you know, in the future it's maybe it's less of like, you know, like one mega label to, uh, you know, encompass everything and, more of like a solid community of individual labels, you know. I mean, I don't think I've, I've said this a million times, but you know, when I started releasing my own stuff, I was really hesitant at first because I felt like, oh, this is a bad look, you know, uh-huh. self-releasing. It's gonna, you know. But any label that I'd want to be involved with, uh-huh. I mean, don't get me wrong. If Atlantic Records was like, hey, we'll give you a hundred grand to make a record, right, right, yeah, great, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as far as the labels that are available to people like us, you know, improvised music, they're all labels that are owned, operated by artists who are releasing their own stuff. Yeah. So once I got that, I was like, oh, this is like a really cool thing to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. And especially if you're doing like what you're doing, which uh-huh. is these like collectible, artfully designed products. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> are you, it, the Drums and Drones uh-huh. project. So yeah. you, you did, you made, you'd made two records uh-huh. for other labels, individual records. Well, I made one record for another label and then I had one in the can. Okay. And that was kind of a Zorn idea also on how to release that. He's, he knew I had one in the can and he's like, you should put that together out in a box set with a re-release of the first one. And I'm like, okay. And then I was thinking about it and then in the back of my mind, I had plans for uh, what would a, a third album you know, sound like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took that as an opportunity to be like, all right, let's do the third record. And, yeah. and then that's how that release grew to be you know, a three album. Yeah, package. Yeah, but beyond the albums, it's a uh, it's a hardcover book. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. embossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thick, delicious uh-huh. paper. Yeah. Liner notes, reflections, yeah, yeah. photos. It's totally. like, yeah, yeah. The project always lent it lent itself well to a multimedia aspect. You know, mm-hmm. with um, you know, with you know, visuals and video art and um and text. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of goes together well, and it's like I've been collecting it over years, so it just seemed to make a lot of sense to put the whole retrospective package together in the form of a book. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, it, it's like it, I personally, as someone, you know, who, who likes your music, who, uh-huh. you know, enjoys you as a person, <laughs> yep. it feels so much more like, um, like that music is being celebrated and put together in a way that is like a powerful, clear statement that is just, you know, there's no way it would if you just released a third record on its own. Would it have had that impact? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. You know, and um, I think it was a good time for the project. You know, to um, yeah, to make a a bigger statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for the work to be considered uh, in context with with itself. In context it, with itself. Yeah. I How guess. do you mean? Like, um, well. Let's see. For example, there's there's uh, uh, there's a few there's different. I started naming tracks uh, you know, with similar names, like on the record, just different versions. Like uh, for example, uh, on the first record, there's a melody drum. There's a track called Melody Drum Drone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then on the second record, I did uh, two pieces that were kind of use a similar like method and technique as melody drum drone so i call ended up calling those melody drum drone version two and three uh-huh and then i did like another version you know you know with a similar technique on the third record so there's melody drum drone four yeah um and it's cool to see the progression of that piece over the course of three albums you approach the piece the same way each time like 
Um, pretty much, yeah. And it was less of a specific composition and more of a concept and technique, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of impro- like all improvisers, I will say, uh-huh. you know, as, as you develop your language, you have this, this language to respond to any situation, any time. And, and you're going to be using, you know, let's say it's a technique or um, a, a, a lick or a voicing. Yeah. Um, but it's not, people don't usually don't necessarily see that as like, oh, that's one thing right. used for one piece. Right. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I often consider drums and drones compositions as etudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where their inception is based off of yeah specific technique or or a concept, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of a very and the the realization of that concept is a very like you know in depth you know focused uh, you know diving into you know what that could be. Mm-hmm. So each track is pretty neat in that regards. It, and and the, the 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 basic concept behind drums and drones is there's a specific tuning for each piece. Yeah, based on just intonation. Pretty much, it's yeah. The basic concept is to explore the subtle acoustic details that exist in a in the resonance of a drum. Yeah. So that's how that's why I call describe drums and drones as going inside the sound of a drum, because uh, the resonance of a drum presents uh, the sonic possibilities in its totality, and then the piece itself starts to car- carve away. Um, you know, like all those, uh, the sonic excess uh-huh. and, this, and and what is left is um, a very specific representation of the, of the whole. So, and then, yeah, what is left is, is um, sonic elements in just intonation, uh-huh. yeah, like the, the, the resonant tones and harmonics in, in just intonation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, um, as you go further into the drums and, cause this is like, what, 10 years now you've been kind of focusing on it? Yeah. Well, there's a couple questions. One is, did you think about performing solo uh, before this? Or, or what came first, the concept for drums and drones or a desire to perform solo drum? That's a great question. Um, I guess it came from a lot from improvisation and then feeling like I'd been playing the drums for a long time. And then, you know, I'd been started to work more and more with improvisers and mm-hmm. starting to hear the possibilities of sonic expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was like looking for, you know, different creative expressive, you know, gestures in the drums. And I started to hear the hear a drum as not like one drum, but as like many ex- sounds existing within the tone of a drum. Yeah. You know, so, you know, like I didn't, where I was starting to feel like I didn't need a whole kit to, you know, play my instrument. You know, I, there's like, oh, within a drum, one drum, you can just get a million sounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was starting to hear all these possibilities, you know, but I didn't really crack the code yet. You know, and I'm, I'm not that there is a, that the, the code is, is to be cracked. Uh, oh, I think there is. is that, yeah. There yeah, always yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, there always, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it keeps going. It keeps yeah. going. Yeah. So, and then, and then around the, this time, I started uh, working at the Dream House, Lamont Young Dream House. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I got into the, t- you know, uh, you know, deep into overtones and harmonics and, you know, how they work and the just intonation tuning system. Right. And so that's how, when I was able to uh, theoretically understand, uh, you know, the the, f- the frequencies and tonal spectrum that exists in a drum, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a more detailed way, just sort of like got like mapped out for me. And then 
I'm like, cool. Like, all right, so I can get more detailed and, and specific about this. And and Drums and Drones, the Drums and Drones project developed as like a way to specifically explore the overtone content of a drum. Mm-hmm. So at first it was electroacoustic, and it still primarily is. And the electronic part is just there to enhance, to, you know, like, uh, you know, to die, to, it just helps you know, pick apart all the specific frequencies. Well, what is yeah. the electronic component? Uh, let's see. Now, at first it was just Pro Tools, and then, but now it's uh, Ableton Live. Okay. And it's primarily just EQ and, you know, right. with some compression and then, you know, some delay here and there. I mean, Ableton but Live is Ableton, meant to be yeah. a performative yeah. interface where Pro Tools is not. Yeah. Pro Tools is for recording and mixing yeah, and editing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly why I got Ableton. Yeah. Yeah. When you were growing up playing the drums and learning the drums, did your teacher or teachers put a lot of emphasis on properly tuning drums? No. No. Um, that was something that I learned later. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is a little story to that. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, basically, I'll, I'll, give some, I'll start off by saying that with the Drums and Drones project, I, I tune a drum head to a very specific frequency. Right. Yeah, you know, which is uh, 480 hertz. You know, which is an octave of 60 hertz, and 60 hertz is the hum of electricity from uh, Con Ed or National Grid, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the idea of you know tuning drums to a specific pitch is largely unheard of. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it happens, but it's not that common. Okay. But but the way I learned to tune drums was from a, a percussionist uh, who graduated from Juilliard, and we were working together at an instrument rental company. We were working together at Carol Music. Oh, yeah? And, and yeah, so, yeah, we were there, like, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, looking after the drums in the rehearsal space and then sending out drums, you know, for all the, you know, for all the rental company needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was, you know, he was several years older than, than I was and he was a classical percussionist and he, and he knew what it meant to tune drums. And then basically what that means is, is when the tension around the circumference uh, circumference of a drum is is even, so that it means there's like not like one side that's like higher, one side lower, just like that there's a total like smooth and even tension around the surface of the drum head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, so to tune to tune a drum requires a lot of like delicate listening, and it re- requires discerning the difference between the fundamental and the overtones, because <laughs> mm-hmm. if you start if a drummer starts tuning to the overtones of a drum, then it'll be very misleading. It'll be difficult, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I think that's where I first started to develop my ear between, you know, to. Prior to that, did the idea of tuning drums seem like something you knew you had to do at some point, or you're just like I don't give a shit at all? Yeah, and then yeah, the uh, the way I knew how to the way the, there was a moment when it became important, and that was during a yeah yeah's recording session. What the producer was like, tune your drums? <laughs> what, um, no, no. It was when we were listening to the playback of a, of a track, of a take. And it was like... <laughs> something didn't sound something right. Something did not sound right. <laughs> yeah. 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 But so that's professional <laughs> music making. Right, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. When you began to... to when it, so going from that moment forward, those two moments, the yeah, yeah, yeah session, and then yeah. also hanging around this guy at Carol Music. Yeah. When you begin to see how big the world of drum tuning was, did you see it as um, like, oh wow, there's going to be so much more creative expression, or was it like, oh god, I gotta slog through this? <laughs> exactly, um, <laughs> both, kind of both. Yeah, 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 
Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I figured out a way to like completely tune my clarinet differently, I mean, you can tune a clarinet Uh to some degree, but I I think I'd like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm never going to play this thing the same way twice again. Yeah. Yeah, Tuning drums is a pain in the ass. It is. It needs to be, the room needs to be quiet. You know, so it's like I've, you know, taken drums, you know, off stage at Yeah Yeah shows to bring them backstage or, you know. Wait, wait, mid show? No, not no, not mid show. Like okay. like during sound check or right. you know or you know stuff like that, and uh, you know, and, and sometimes you know drums have to be positioned like at an angle, or I'll, or I'll put them on my lap, or you know something like mm-hmm. different. So they're heavy and uh, it's yeah, it's a pain in the butt sometimes. But the result is is you get nice sounding drums that resonate in tune with the band. Right. <laughs> yeah. When um something that's cool about drums and drones, like literally. When I've listened to the first record, particularly strikes me this way. But you hit play on a track, uh-huh. you're like, "Oh, he's like just tapping a snare drum." You know, uh-huh. you tap that, 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 yep. and then like within thirty seconds to a minute, you completely forget. Uh-huh. Like you're just lost in this world of, of of tone, and it becomes you know, unless you're like, unless I'm intellectually and intentionally hanging on to the fact that I'm listening to a snare drum, uh-huh. it goes away so quickly. Yeah, yeah, totally, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that uh, yeah that describes it yeah you know it's just yeah you kind of step into this other world you know yeah uh, um, but yeah they're directly linked both, both sections yeah. how much have you been able to as you've refined the drums and drones language do you do you find it's theme that language seem, seamlessly uh, working its way into your group improvisations with people um, yeah it if I'm working on drums and drones real heavily my ear gets tuned into all the microsonic details mm-hmm. and uh yeah that definitely comes out you know with the drums it's like you know when you know, improvising mm-hmm. uh yeah so uh and then you know, it's like funny stuff like um yeah like i'll be in the shower and i'll hear the the sound of the water like hitting the <laughs> hitting the tub and i'll i'll hear like all like the little tones <laughs> that, that, that that's producing and i'll just like stand there like yeah. It's it's like you hear about these people with perfect pitch going crazy, uh, wishing yeah, they yeah. were deaf. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, like, so like last night you played uh, a concert with improvised music with piano player Anthony Coleman. Yeah. Do you see this stuff like seeping into that? Um, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, like Anthony is a you know master at you know hearing pitch and yeah. and bending pitch and everything. You know, so like, um, I mean, not literally bending pitch. You know, but, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I think he has that attention of detail to my sound you know mm-hmm. like he'll hear the tones coming off of my cymbal and he'll intentionally play play with that yeah um yeah and it has me more sensitive to you know his tone and timbre yeah, yeah. in your mind do you i mean you know the drums and drones you know it's you you know often with with visuals but for the the sonic element it's you um but when you begin to incorporate that language into group improvisation, uh-huh. do you is there a part of your mind that is sort of like how can I say it like where you feel like where where you feel like oh I should be focusing more on the role of a traditional drummer versus I should be you know I want to use this language and you know I can't really be concerned with whether or not I should be like a traditional drummer right now, right? I think a lot. Of- the drums and drones project is about subtlety mm-hmm. and a lot with subtlety has to do with getting beneath the surface and um, that can take any number of forms and it's easy to get caught up on surface level things like like what should i do or what should i not do 
but if we appreciate subtlety, then that kind of shifts the mind towards um, the bigger aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, and that could be, you know, things like structure, you know, for one. So it's like, you know, in improvisation, that's something I've been learning with experience is to think of uh, the long term trajectory of the piece as a composition. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a more subtle way of thinking rather than getting totally caught up in you know, like the the immediacy of the moment. I mean, which is obviously, you know, what improvisation is about, you know, but thinking of the moment in context of uh, where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I think the immediacy of the moment is reflective of that. You know, I think the future is also embedded in, is in the present moment. <laughs> so it's about tapping into that and guiding it towards a good place. Mm-hmm. So I think, and to direct the mind in that kind of way, requires uh you know letting go of some of the distractions of the of the present moment and kind of tapping into like a deeper essence you know and i think the drums and drones project reflects that kind of thinking yeah yeah there's so much to be said for patience and improvising and i don't mean like in like that really delicate you know lowercase kind of way which is great Uh, it's cool yeah yeah i I, I dig that but um but for for introducing you know a sense of patience to any situation, obviously yeah, yeah. sometimes you're playing like really pointillistic stuff, right. and you don't want to be the guy that's dragging it down, right? You right, want exactly. To, you know, yeah, yeah, contributing. Yeah. But it it doesn't always need to be that. In fact, uh-huh. usually it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're really good at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone like Zorn, you know, I, I heard him play a duo one time with Anthony Coleman, uh-huh. speaking of the devil. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was it was like one of these Stone Improv nights, and they played a duo for, I'm not kidding, four minutes, maybe. Yeah. But in that four minutes, there was more material than, like, the rest of the whole night. And uh-huh. it was so, like, it, it sounded like a crazy cut-up piece. Like, yeah. it was just moments, they had, they had this, it sounded like Tom and Jerry going back really? and forth. It was <laughs> the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. You know, uh-huh. but, like, that's two dudes who've been doing yeah. that together for, you know, 40 years. Yeah. And that's why it sounds that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty incredible, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just how the language develops. Do you... um I feel like you've been developing long-term improv- improvisational uh, relationships. Uh-huh, yeah. Like the thing, you, so one of the other records on, on the label is a duo with Catherine Sikora. Uh-huh. Uh, which, I, I gotta say, I never heard her until I saw you guys play duo. Uh, oh, right, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's something awesome. that's been, you've been working on for a while? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember when we started. Maybe it was probably like 2013 or 14. So not that so, long ago. Yeah not, yeah, not too long. How did you encounter one another? That's a great question. Um, it was actually through Drums and Drones. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, unexpected, because, you know, Catherine, is, you know, our music is improvised, you know, like, right. Yeah. Uh, but I I was promoting my the first record, which came out in 2013. On Pogus. On Pogus, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I asked KCR if I could get on, you know, do an interview on their show or something. Yeah, let me get on the mics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, Chris Pitsyoko uh-huh. was uh, hosting a show. I think he had like Tuesdays afternoons. Right. Like, yeah. So he invited me up and I was, you know, doing an interview on his show and he played some music. And Catherine happened to be in her car at that time somewhere, you know, in the New York City area. Mm-hmm. And stuck in traffic, probably. <laughs> stuck in traffic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she wrote me, she just dropped me a line saying, hey, that was really cool. I really found that music interesting. And yeah. You know, whatever. So... And then just like, I'm like, there's something in her e- email that made it sound like she really knows 
what she's talking about. Mm. So I'm like, I should probably look her up before I just kind of, you know, respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did. And then, you know, I found her music and like who she played with and everything. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. She's like, this is serious. Real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote her back and I'm like, like, thank you so much. And then like, maybe we could, you know, play some time and, and we did. And we did, and it just kind of clicked. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been on and off since, you know, for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's yeah. really powerful player. Uh, definitely. Yeah. 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 So I want to ask, and I started asking about this. Um, the name of the label is Chicken. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> which was your grandfather's name? Yeah. Before he uh, desemitized it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what Sydney Chicken? Sydney Chicken. Later, I think Chase. So. Chase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, later, Ray Chase. Ray Chase. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love when Jews change their name. Yeah. Like, it become like I. I just feel like if you gave me a list of like twenty non-Jewish names, uh-huh. I could pick out everyone that was, that was like used to be. Yeah, that it was like oh, that's someone pretending. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Ray That's not a real name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he came here from from the Kiev area. From Kiev. Yeah, from Kiev. where my grandmother was from. Oh, really? Mm. Wow. Oh, she might have, no. She was from Odessa. Never mind. Odessa. Okay. Uh, he came so, here in the. Th- it was like early twenties. Twenties. Yeah. As, as a kid or as a grown man? He was a, like, pretty much a baby. Yeah. Yeah. To New so, York. To New York. Yeah, to Brooklyn. And yeah, he grew up with the name Sidney Chaikin. And Chaikin was the family name. Do you know where in Brooklyn? I think the Brownsville area. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, different times. Things get very real out <laughs> in Brownsville these days. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then growing up, he played the concertina. Right. Yeah, which is similar to an accordion. But smaller. It's like a smaller, yeah, yeah, exactly. It has buttons. And the story is, he ended up going to, uh, to the Manhattan School of Music in their violin program, playing this concertina, which is crazy to think. About, I mean, do right? they still offer concertina performance degrees? Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay, he he had like a violin degree. His teacher was a violin teacher. So did he also yeah. play the violin? He didn't, but he did. It, he played violin repertoire on the concertina, like as a soloist. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I'll, there is a record of him. I think of seventy-eight of him. Playing like a like a Mendelssohn violin concerto. Do you have it? Uh, I think it's in my grandmother's place, or in my you know. We've got a digital. My grandmother's. Yeah, I know. Have you heard it? I have. Yeah. Does it sound insane? It's cool. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of has like a theremin ish sure. tone to it a little bit. I was just at yeah. the, the uh, Bob Moog factory last week. Oh really? Oh, have you been? No. The greatest. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest. Uh huh. Anyway. Yeah. Wait, cool. So he did he play music professionally? He did. Uh, he made a living playing music. He did. Yeah. Um, he yeah. After coming back from serving in World War II, uh, a lot of his classical music contacts were gone, and then he sort of. Wait, wait. He what, what branch of the military did he serve in? He was in the Air Force. He was a he was a mechanic. The funny thing was, uh, I guess the, uh, was when he took the test to determine what branch of the military he would go in. Uh, he sort of faked his way into like a higher position, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. To avoid combat. Yeah. What was it? It was something like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. pretty, yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, it's like they gave, or, or they wanted him to be an air, airplane mechanic, mm-hmm. you know, so they gave him like the manual and, uh, and he was able to study it and memorize everything, but he had no experience as a mechanic. But conceptually, and, he but understood. Concept, he yeah. conceptually, he understood. Yeah, but then when it came, came time to work on stuff, it's like it was not going to happen. Was, the hell not, is this guy? It was not somebody you want fixing your plane. 
<laughs> yeah. So I guess I guess they found like another job for him. Did he yeah. go to Europe? He uh, was. He was in. He was in Asia. <gasps> he was in the South Pacific. South Pacific. Do you know where? I don't. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where. All right, man. Yeah. yeah. A lot of so, shit went down in the South Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yep. So he went. So, so he finished school. He fakes his way into a mechanic's job in yep. the South Pacific. Yeah. The war ends. He comes yeah. back to New York. Yeah. And he doesn't know anyone anymore. Uh, and then I think a lot of his contacts were gone. It was a different scene. Yeah. So I mean the the, the like, concertina wasn't in, as in demand <laughs> as it was previous to something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or like the classical music world was gonna. I don't. Know, it wasn't gonna be enough for him. Yeah. Right. And. And then that's when he started to develop a shtick. Which was? <laughs> Which was, um, I think, playing a lot of like pop songs of the day and writing his own music and leading his own bands. And he would sing and tell stories. And- Had he changed his name to Chase yet? Uh, not yet. So he first started working professionally under the name Sidney Chaikin. And then as he started to get more popular, he, I think he encountered a lot you know, anti-Semitism and you know, was, feeling, was feeling the need for a more slicker stage name perhaps you yeah. know I, I always wonder about that like when you hear you know like even today you know people you know in the pop site guys change their names if they're too jewish you know like natalie yeah. portman uh-huh. like she changed her name to like still a pretty jewy name but uh-huh. like it was like i don't it was it, you know something like esther yeah, yeah you know rosenbaum or something uh-huh. like that it was yeah, like yeah. super jewy uh-huh. but back then i wonder how much of it was just like like oh i, I want a sexier name like a slicker name yeah and how much of it was actual, like, no, you can't play here, Jew. Right, exactly. Um, it could have been a both. Uh-huh. It could have been both. I think in New York, you know, it was cool, more or less. You right. know, but then, you know, he would travel throughout the United States and Canada. Right. So I think that's probably when there was more issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So he's lead, he, he's doing pop renditions of the day. Yeah, you know, like jazz. You know, with a combo. Like, yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah, he would play solo and with a with the band. Yeah. And then he would write charts. Like I have a box of his music upstairs. Is it incredible? I have uh, I don't it's it looks cool. Yeah, you know, but it looks kind of, you know, standard, you know, you know chord changes. Chord changes and, and melodies yeah. and stuff, yeah. 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 So he's and was he touring? He was touring. He was touring, yeah. Ray Chase <laughs> and the What was the, Ray, the Um yeah, I don't know what he would call his band. That's a good question. What would you do if you found out? Well, never mind. <laughs> so, right. So he's touring and, and yeah. he continued a life of music? Yeah, through the 60s. Yeah. And then yeah. eventually he started to settle down and then he uh, sold insurance locally. Like when? In Long Island. On Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Gave yeah. birth to your father. Yeah. 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 So he had three kids. Did you have a relationship with him growing up? I did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he loved touring and, and he loved the artist lifestyle. Did he? Um, he's not still around, is he? No. When did he pass away? Um, I think like 2009. So he got to see you go out around the world. Yeah. Did you guys talk about that? Uh, we did. Yeah. What was, so, was he giving <laughs> you pointers? Like, um, Let's see. I don't remember the pointers so much. I just remember his encouragement. Yeah. I mean, he, he loved music so, yeah, so much. And I think he really um, instilled that. Did he enjoy your music? He did, yeah. Which yeah. projects specifically? <laughs> uh, well, he loved Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Did he get to see you guys play? Once. Yeah, we came. Yeah, 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 we're in Florida outside of Miami, and he saw that show. Oh, he, he wound up in Florida? Yep. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> he followed that trajectory pretty clearly. <laughs> yep. I, I have to imagine, even being like, like when you see the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's play, like Karen uh-huh. O looks like she's from another planet. Yep. 
was he like completely like what was his response to her yeah exactly yeah totally yep i think it was along those lines you know i was like wow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just you know with the costume and her stage presence yeah yeah it's cool i feel like i've been to a number of shows with you whether i'm playing with you or i'm there to to, to see you play your dad comes to a lot of shows right still still yeah. not as much or still not as much but he'll show up yeah and what, what's your relationship with him been like around music? Um, yeah, he was like, you know, I think, you know, I have to credit him as like my, my biggest fan. And your so old man? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he would, uh, you know, take me to lessons and, yeah. you know, just make sure things were cool, you know, so. Did he ever play an instrument? Uh, he did play the concertina and violin <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the same. It, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. 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 Did, uh, do, you, do you have any of your grandfather's concertinas? I have one. I have one oh. little one. In a picture, I have a, a picture of him, of one of his press shots. I've seen that. It's on the, uh, the website, right? It's on the web. Uh, not that one. There's another one. Okay. Yeah. There's another one that I really love. Yeah. 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 And so the next step for, for your output is to develop this room into a studio? Totally. Yeah. I can't wait. Exactly. Yeah. Just you know, come down here, you know. It's a bit of work. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of work. Definitely. Are you... Um, I mean, you know, I, I, this is kind of maybe a silly question, but like you're starting out with three releases. The third uh -huh. one is yet to come. The first release was you and Catherine. The second release was you and was Drums and Drones? Or the there... first, yeah, first was Drums and Drones. Then, yeah, Catherine, yeah, coming up. And then there's this third record, 13 yep. Million Year Old Ghost. 13 Million Year Old Ghost, which is uh -huh. coming, and that's going to be like a big production. What do you, do you have other stuff down the line that you're already envisioning? I do. Yeah, I have, I have, uh, you know, what the next batch of three would be pretty much yeah. but that's too so, early to talk about too early yeah. yeah 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 do you suspect that you're gonna record those down here um at least one of them yeah 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 uh -huh. i just i feel like i watched this documentary recently on the melvins uh-huh who were one of my all-time favorite bands yeah um and i didn't realize this but like at Buzz Osborne's place, at his house in LA, you know, his wife, Mackie, does uh -huh. all the visual art for the Melvins, and they do all this limited edition stuff, like seven inches and, and posters and all this stuff. And they manufacture that shit all in their house. Really? They have a basement with a printing press. What? And it's like a true cottage industry, Uh huh. you know? And like, I don't know, the idea is very exciting to me that you could have like your whole, you know, you could record your stuff here, self-release it, like that's, yeah. what more could you ask for? That's, uh, it yeah, that's good. It's a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you just did one, you just did a drums and drones tour. I did. Yeah. How'd it go? It went well. It, um, it was, yeah, long drives, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it went to good venues. I, I highly recommend the, the venues. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good spaces for, you know, art music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that music might suffer in the wrong room more it, than it other would. music. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We found that, for sure, like, um, yeah, it, it's it's a sensitive project. It's a little delicate. So, mm -hmm. you know, if it's, you know, if if loud, if the, the music is too loud before it, you know, or if, like, I think, like, drinking kind of interferes mm -hmm. with the music because, you know, when, during, with a Drums and Drones performance, it's definitely about, like, entering the, the drone zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I've been calling it, you know, so it requires a lot of patience uh, and a lot of stillness, you know, in some ways to really, you know, hear the complexities and what's going on and, and it's a lot of like, you know, dealing with oneself in some ways, uh, you know, and then if somebody's not in the right mindset to go there, 
you know, then it's like, uncom- then it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you feel, I mean, that, I, I, that music has to take place in a distraction-free environment, unless it's, you know, the visuals that you then bring in, but it's still, um, yeah. But, you know, it requires people to surrender to the situation. Yeah, definitely. Have you, have you found that most people show up ready to do that? Um, it's, it was mixed. I think that yeah. was really helpful with the tour. Yeah. You know, because I think we realized, oh, wow, this is really like a delicate situation. We have to make sure it's set up in the proper way. Uh, and where we're encouraging people throughout the night, you know, that this is the environment. Yeah. And a cool thing maybe that, that I'll, I'll add is that uh, for the Drums and Drones release show, which was at Mercury Lounge, Right. Uh, it that was an atypical setting. Because it was a rock club. Because it's a rock club, and the the two acts that preceded Drums and Drones, they're you know coming from, you know, uh, you know, I guess I, I don't you know just like a like, mm, yeah, not as like delicate a place. You're trying to avoid the N word, aren't you? <laughs> Noise. <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah, a little more noisy, but yeah, next project isn't isn't so noisy. Yeah, uh, you know, but but their their performance was very in itself was very you know sensitive and and well crafted and and like filled with you know deep integrity mm-hmm. uh, that it all kind of worked together, you know. So it doesn't uh, you know. So that was pretty amazing to see that like. The venue worked because we brought in a lot of people that were there for the night, mm-hmm. and the night itself was able to cultivate a feel and like a, a strong vibe between mm-hmm. everybody, and and that made it all work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and then even with the performers, even though everybody kind of had a different style and sound, we're all kind of unified in our intention and vision. Yeah. Do you see yourself, or even the need to be able to adapt that project to a loud room, like? This is the situation. I just got to learn how to deal with it, or are you just going to avoid it at all costs? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, there's a few pieces where the the sound can get really intense and loud, and mm-hmm. I think at that point it's good to just you know crank the volume and, and lay it on. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done that? Um, there was one time where it happened. Yeah. Where it the situation ended up was kind of kind of sucked. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we and that was the way to do it. Was like, all right, you know, let's just do it. Like it was at an event outside of dc uh-huh. uh, and and the and the promoter had good intentions you know but i think it was uh, uh, yeah uh well anyway <laughs> it's not worth describing too much but basically the the audience was was there for you know for booze and like mm-hmm. party music mm-hmm. you know so it was like the wrong mix it was like the wrong crowds they keep like the the artists were more art oriented mm-hmm. and then but the way it was advertised it was towards just like, you know, like common, you know, just like Blah. meathead kind of crowd, you know. Uh, so art meatheads? <laughs> no, not even art meatheads. It was oh, just, really? yeah, just like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just, you know, uh, there's yeah. something so satisfying about, <clears throat> and I just did this the other night with a record, settling in with a new record, uh-huh. an ideal listening environment, yeah, with a nice scotch, yeah, some wine, uh-huh. and it's like it's really perfect. Yeah, you know, it's like booze doesn't need to to ruin music, though it so frequently uh, does. <laughs> or maybe just people need to learn how to handle their damn booze. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know I think it's just yeah, like the the direction that, that people are in. Yeah, <laughs> but I think you know too much. I think a lot of drinking kind of, um, uh, yeah, can you know cloud things in some ways and kind of or it can 
you know, make for a dullness, you know, yeah. that, uh, you know, and that's why it lends itself to, you know, loudness and, you know, more like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know things that, you know, can come with it, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, that, that's what I've been finding. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to do this. I thought, would you want to do a drum and drone piece in here? And I record oh, it. Oh, but only, I don't know if, because, yeah, this is up to you. Oh, um, I can. Yeah, we, we, can, we can try it out, see how it goes. See how it goes? And if sure. it's cool, I'll leave it in. And if not, I won't. That sounds good. All right. Yeah. So I'll hit pause. Okay. And I'll set up these mics. Okay. Do you need the electronic component? Um, well, actually, I can, do, I can do an acoustic version demonstrating harmonics in a drum. That might be kind of cool. All right. Yeah, I'll just do some acoustic stuff and then... And you could talk yeah. it through, or you don't have to. You could just do a piece. Yeah. Okay. Let me grab my drum. With the drum I use for it, which okay. is upstairs. So I'll just be. In grab the drum, yeah. and then I'll get this ready. Great. Oh, there it is. Here, let me move this out of the way. Yes. the tuning all right so with this one drum yeah okay we got one drum here and this is the main drum I use for drums and drones and and uh, I'll do a demonstration of some harmonics uh, that are in the drum okay
so good. It's so good. <laughs> I've never seen it up close like that before. And you could see, like, I mean, I'm looking at the drum, and I could see where your fingers have created those marks. Yeah. And it's almost like, I mean, do you use those finger marks as visual cues now? Yep. That's so good. Yeah. They're kind of, they've been worn away, so I need to kind of re-pinpoint them. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like a whole new instrument. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, it's like it, I don't know, it feels like, I, I was listening to you play and watching you play, and I'm just like, oh yeah, the goal of music is to transcend the instrument and just create something that is music. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's my take on it. Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. This is awesome, yeah. Brian. Uh, cool. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thanks for having me over. Uh, thank you for coming over. Yeah, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Jake and Records. Woo. Right, that was Brian Chase, the one and only, the great. You hear that music back there? That's a drum. Go to shakenrecords.com. Check them out. There's a third release coming. It's too early to talk about it, but it's a, it's a big one. It's a big one. Pick up the Drums and Drones record. Check them out uh, next week. With Yuka Honda and Dave Harrington. Check them out with Jandek if you can get your ass in to Transpicos that night. Uh, but but check them out. Shakenrecords.com. Good shit from a great person. Go to the 5049 website. Buy a CD. You guys buy CDs? Uh, buy a t-shirt. Do whatever you got to do. Uh, and that's it. Hope you guys are all doing well. We're going to be back next week with another amazing percussionist. So look forward to that. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.